All right, good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening. Thank you to those who braved the weather tonight. Baruch Hashem. Certainly extra schar for coming out on a, on a night like this. So we are Mir Hashem. First of all, tonight is dedicated by Rachi Tenenbaum in commemoration of the yard site of her grandmother, Elka Bas Moshe. Zichron of the Rach. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, the Nisham will have an aliyah and the family a Nechaba. So Mir Hashem. What we are going to do tonight, and is going to carry us over tonight into next week, Emir Hashem, is focusing on Kapitel Lamed, chapter 30 in Sefer Tehillim. And the reason why we're going to, why, why I'm focusing on this Kapitel, even though we've actually spoken about it in the past, is because this Kapitel, chapter 30, is associated with the Antub of Hanukkah. So Emir Hashem tonight is going to be the intro to this Kapitel, and then Emir Hashem next week is going to be our uh, pre-Hanukkah shir, Emir Hashem, getting a little bit of a, of a head start on the Antiv. So tonight we'll kind of lay the basic, we'll call it theological or hashkafic framework for the capital. And then Emir Hashem next week delve a little bit more into the actual Hanukkah implications of it. So let's begin. Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Sabai Zedavis. Let's just take a, first take a quick look at the Hashitsa right up here if anyone needs. Just take a, a quick look at the capital itself. So literally again, Mizmor, let's just translate. Mizmar is a song, a shir is also a song, so somewhat repetitive. Chanukas habayis le David, a dedication of the home for David HaMelech. Okay? David HaMelech then goes on. Hashem kidalisani, Hashem, I will praise you, I'll exalt you, for you have raised me up and not allowed my enemies to rejoice over me. Hashem Elokai, Shivati Elecha Hashem, I reached out to you and you healed me. Hashem, you've lifted me out. You brought me out from the grave. Revived me from the descent into the pit. So we're not going to go through the whole capital. But again, what's interesting is, at first glance, this capital, this particular chapter of Tehillim, seems to be very much like most of the chapters of Tehillim. What's the dominant theme in Sefer Tehillim? Dominant theme? Dominant theme and safer to him. I'm sorry. God helps me. In other words, essentially, most of safer to follows the following model. I was in trouble. I thought it was helpless, but then you came through for me. That's the theme of Sefer Tehillim. The truth is, that's because that's the theme of David Amalek's life. Constant struggle, constant overwhelming difficulty, circumstances that look totally, you know, unnavigable. Just, it just, you could not come through. And yet, with incredible siyata dishmaya, and with incredible divine providence, divine assistance, David Amalek finds a way through. So at first glance, this capital really seems to have the same exact my enemies won't rejoice over me. I was down and out. You lifted me out of the pit. I was having difficulty. Same basic theme. But of course, we know part of the power of Sefer Tillim is that, although it's not true necessarily with every single capital, but many of the chapters in Sefer Tillim correspond to specific events in David HaMelech's life. So, what we're going to, kind of the overarching question we're going to focus on tonight is what is the theme of this capital? So again, if we want to go home early tonight, we can just simply say the theme of this capital is I was in trouble. I didn't think I would make it out of trouble, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you were there and you helped me. Absolutely correct. The question is, is there something additional or something deeper unfolding over here? Then there's another intriguing part, right? When we, when we open with this phrase, Mizmor Shir Chanukas Habayis Ledavid. If I were to ask you, what event 
Does this capital correspond to what would you say? What event? Beis Hamikdash. Right? After all, again, David HaMelech is talking about a Chanukah Sabayis, a dedication of a home. So, Bepashtos, on the most basic level, which home is David HaMelech referring to? It would sound like the Beis Hamikdash. What's the problem? What's the problem with that interpretation? Excellent. Okay, good morning, everyone. Good. Now we're getting into it. Excellent. Good. David HaMelech didn't build the Beis Hamikdash. So it's interesting that David Melch has a capital that says Mizmor Shir Chanukas Habayis Lidavid, a song for the dedication of the home Lidavid. Lidavid, David Melch, you didn't build the base on this. She wanted very badly to build the base. Remember again, what David Melch wanted more than anything, we're going to see was to be able to build the base Hamikdash. Why that is, Emir Hashem will come to. So, so question number one is what is the overarching theme? Question number two is Dara Melch didn't build the Beis HaMikdash, so why is this capital Beis HaMikdash-centric? And then question number three, which is actually interesting, is if you actually read through the capital, you through the chapter of Tillim, actually the dominant discussion, a dominant theme, is really about sickness, illness, illness, and having been ill, and then having been healed from that illness. In fact, chapter 30, Kapitel Lamed, is actually one of the kapitok that we say when davening for a chola, when davening for a person who is ill. So we have to then ask ourselves the connection between Mizmar Shir Chanukah Sabayis Ledavid, again, dedication of the home, and also prayer for illness. So let's, let's take this step by step and kind of begin to unravel it. So take a look at number two. So the first thing, the approach of the Malbim. So the Malbim writes in source number two something amazing. This is incredible. He says, Hamizmar Kulu, Yusad lasseis hodah bechaluso vayechim echalio. Malbim comes along and says, this chapter of Tehillim is not about the Beis HaMikdash. It's not about the Beis HaMikdash. What is it about? This is the capital that Tavar HaMelech sang when he was healed from illness. Tavar HaMelech suffered an almost fatal illness, a fatal illness. He was healed from that almost fatal illness and this capital is the response. This is incredible. This is so amazing. So the Malbim says, the bias, the home being referred to over here, is not a physical home. Well, it is a physical home, but it's not a domicile. It's not a residence. It's not a base of English. What is it? What is it? It's the body. The body is also called the home, right? Where is the right? Where is the body? What, what, what is the body the home to? The body is a home to the, to the soul, to the neshama, right? The neshama resides inside of the body. So this is incredible. The Malbim says, don't get thrown that Mizmar Shir Chanukas Habayis the David is talking about the Beis Hamikdash. A, David didn't build the Beis Hamikdash. B, this capital actually doesn't discuss the Beis Hamikdash. So what is it referring to? Says the Malbim, Seferi Dalmach was ill. Again, we'll discuss the nature of his illness. We'll discuss that. But ultimately, he was healed from illness. And this is like the, the Thanksgiving. The, oh, okay. right? The Thanksgiving ode, right? Thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Thank you, Hashem, for healing me from illness. Beautiful. He goes on. He says, so we actually don't have to do the rest. So that's the Malbim. That's the Malbim's approach. Take a look at the Radak. So this is incredible. The Radak disagrees. And by the way, the, the beauty, as we're going to see, 
is the approaches themselves are not mutually exclusive. So the Radak says, Mizmar Shir Chanukas Habayis Adar. He says, Chibru David, Shiyomru, Bechanukas Beis Hamikdash. So listen to this. The Radak says it's not true. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, this actually was, or this was created in order to go ahead and be recited at the dedication of the Beis HaMikdash, right? There was going to be a Chanukah Sabayis. Remember again, we have a concept of a Chanukah Sabayis. Sorry, Baruch We have the concept of a Chanukah Sabayis. The first Chanukah Sabayis, of course, was the Beis HaMikdash. There was a dedication. So Davra Melech went ahead and wrote this capital of Tilim, Davka, to be sung at the dedication of the Beis HaMikdash. That's when it was to be sung. Now listen to this. V'afapi she'ein bazeh, e'ein bazeh mizmar, zecher habayis, hizkirbo slichas pshav. So this is, get ready for this. Here's the problem, right? Let's take a step back, right? The Malbim, which was source number two, makes a lot of sense. Why does the Mal make a lot of sense? Because what's the theme of the capital? What's the dominant theme of the capital? Illness. Illness and being healed from illness. So the Malbim is beautiful because the Malbim says, you're right. The bias, the home that David Amalek is referring to, is not a physical home. It's not a physical home. It's not even a spirit. It's, it's the body. It's the body. So David Amalek is singing a song on the day that there was, so to speak, a Chanukah Sabayis. And what's the Chanukah Sabayis? It's the rededication of his health. It's the rededication of the vitality of his body. He's happy, he's healthy, his health is restored. That's the capital. Comes along the Radak, and the Radak says that, no, this is actually about the Beis HaMikdash. But if it's about the Beis HaMikdash, if it's about the Beis HaMikdash, then how does the rest of the capital actually make sense? So look what he writes. This is incredible. Because the rest of the capital, remember again, discusses illness, but also discusses forgiveness. So what does the Beis HaMikdash have to do with forgiveness? And here, the Radak says something amazing. He says, Remember, we've spoken about this concept many, many times. David HaMelech's detractors. David HaMelech had a number of detractors, right? So first of all, again, first it started that he really wasn't Jewish, right? Because he's a descendant of Rus. Rus was a Moabite convert. People tried to discredit her conversion. And then at the end of the day, again, people also tried to discredit him as a usurper, right? He went ahead and he stole the throne from his father-in-law, from Shaul. Again, both false claims. Then there was another discredit. Remember, again, the event that forever shapes and colors... You know how like in life, in life, there are many events and many occurrences which define us, but often in life there are singular events that put us on a particular trajectory in life. For David HaMelech, that event was the episode with Bathsheba. That, that event, that event went ahead and propelled David in multiple directions. And, and I want to point out many of them incredibly positive. What, what could be positive? David HaMelech is the paradigmatic Balchuva. Paradigmatic Balchuva. Why? Remember again, when David HaMelech is confronted by Nasan and Abba, when David HaMelech is confronted by the Prophet, and he's confronted by what he did, what does David HaMelech do? We've actually spoken about this. What did David HaMelech do? He owned it. He owned it. He said, Chatasi. 
It's incredible. I don't know about you, but most times when I'm confronted by something negative, my reflexive reaction is to deflect. To deflect, to explain, to, uh, no, it's not really this. And Dharamach, in his greatness, in his greatness, when confronted with the fact that he made a mistake, chatasi, one word. No, like chatasi but, right? Or chatasi and, chatasi. David HaMelech is the actual, the paradigmatic Balchova. He teaches us how to turn things around from the most terrible and potentially horrific circumstances to, to, to something that is actually a platform for our, for our foundation, for dramatic growth. But at the end of the day, this event also gave David HaMelech, his, his detractors, an incredible amount of fodder, right? an incredible amount of fuel to go ahead and discredit him, calling him an adulterer, calling him a sinner, calling him an immoral individual. So listen to this. People were convinced that in the aftermath of the sin of Bathsheba, David HaMelech had lost the opportunity for a dynastic monarchy. Remember again, David wasn't the first king. David was the second king. Shaul was the first king. So what was the difference between Shaul's monarchy and David's monarchy? Shaul's monarchy was never meant to be dynastic. It was never meant. It could have potentially gone to his son, but it was never meant to continue in perpetuity. That was, nev- that was never the designation. Because dynastic monarchy comes from Yehuda. Remember again, Shaul was from Ephraim. So it comes from the tribe of Yehuda. So as such, at the end of the day, David HaMelech wasn't just given the throne. He was to be the father of dynastic monarchy. Well, people said after the episode of Bathsheba, no way that's happening. Done. Done. David, maybe you'll serve out your days on the throne, but there is no way that a dynastic monarchy is coming from a guy like this. That's what people said. By the way, it hurts to say it, right? It sounds strange to speak about David HaMelech this way. Right? It sounds strange. But you know, I've mentioned this many times as well. Usually, great people become great when? When they're dead. Right? Generally, great people are revered and respected when they're dead. And when they're alive, they're often treated like garbage. I know it sounds like a harsh thing to say, but it's true. Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest example of this, right? Moshe Rabbeinu dies and everybody's crying. Hello, right? Did you see how you treated him for 40 years in the desert? Right? Did you see constant situation after situation, rebellion after rebellion? Again, often people, it's true in general in life that we often don't appreciate the greatness of people until they're gone. In any event, so David HaMelech's detractor said, no more dynastic monarchy. So what happens? Even though David had a promise from the Navi. Remember again, after David does tshuva, and he atones for his sin, so the Navi tells him, you are forgiven, and in fact, you will be the father of a dynastic monarchy. With all of that, with all that, by the way, not only that, not only that, but remember, who's going to be the continuation of David HaMelech's monarchy? Who? Who? Shlomo. Who, 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 who's Shlomo's mother? Bathsheba. Which also tells you that not only is David forgiven, but ultimately HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself blesses the union, right? The union of David and Bathsheba, even though it began not in a less, what we'll call in less than ideal circumstances, the Rebono Shel Olam blesses the union. When Shlomo is born, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives him a name. The name that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives Shlomo was Yedidya. Yedidya, the beloved one of Hashem. 
Ain forgiveness gedolamizo. Right? This is forgiveness. This is forgiveness. But here's what's incredible. What's incredible is David Melech knew all of this, but no one else did, and no one else believed it. No one else believed it. So look at paragraph base. He says, So remember again, at the end of David Melech's life, just so you understand what a turbulent life David Melech had, right? And that the man never had peace. He never had peace. Remember again, and in his, on his deathbed, we just read it actually a couple weeks ago, it's the Haftorah for Parshas Chai Sarah. On his deathbed, what's happening to David Melech? What's happening? He's dying. He's literally dying. And what happens? One of his sons, Adonia ben Chagis, decides to say, ani amloch. He goes ahead and he declares himself as king. David Melch is literally dying. He's in his final moments of life. And already again, there's, we wouldn't call it like a total rebellion, but it's certainly a quasi-rebellion that's unfolding right as David Melech's you know, waning moments of life. So when people see this, they say, oh, you see, Shlomo's not going to be king. The dynastic monarchy is over. Now, you skip down a little bit. So, I'm sorry. So, stop. So, I'm sorry. Look at the last three lines in paragraph base. So, I'm going to read these words and then we're going to explain it better by looking at the Gemara. So, so therefore, the, the Radak says over here, that this capital, so let's, let's zoom out a little bit over here. So this capital is talking about the dedication of the Beis HaMikdosh. Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis of David is a song composed by David HaMelech to be sung at the dedication of the actual Beis HaMikdosh. But David, why are you concerned with the dedication of the Beis HaMikdosh? You are not going to be here. You're not going to see it. David was already told in no uncertain terms that he was not going to build the base Hamikdash. That's just the way that it is. So why is he going ahead and composing the song to be sung at the dedication? Because David felt that somehow the dedication would be his vindication. The dedication of the base Hamikdash was the vindication of David HaMelech. Now what does this mean? Take a look at source number six. Skip a little bit. This is, this is incredible. So, so um, yeah, take a look at number six. Not that, not that five is not important. Five is important. It's a beautiful Gemara, but you'll look at it on your own. Look at number six. So listen to this. So, David, so what does it mean? When he says, tell him, perform for me a good sign and let my enemies see and let them be embarrassed. What does this mean? Amr David, Lithnia Kadish Baruch, Ribono Shalom, Mcholi al Osa Avon. David said, Kishbaruchu, please forgive me for the sin I have committed. Forgive me. Amr Lo, Machalucha. Machalach, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. By the way, what, can you imagine how wonderful it would be to hear those words from Akadish Baruchu? Like, we, I, I believe that Hashem forgives me. I believe it. But can you imagine if you come before Akhlesh Baruch Hu, you do real tshuva, and the Ribbono Shalom says back to you, Machalach, you are forgiven. How incredible it must be to hear those two words. David Melech hears it, but David's not finished. Amr lo, asei imi os b'chayai. Hashem, I have another request. Can you give me a sign? Can you give me a sign that I am forgiven? Now, understand, why is David Melech asking for a sign? Why is he asking for a sign? What do you think? 
I'm sorry? To show people. To show people. Remember again, the sign's not for David. Because remember again, David just heard from God, you're forgiven. That's good enough, right? You can take that to the bank. That's good. So the sign is not for him. The sign is for everyone else. I need people to see that I'm forgiven. You have to understand. You have to understand. The Gemara says that David HaMalach was tormented about this. That the Gemara says David HaMalach would walk into the base Madrash and his adversaries would say, David, you know, always forget, what's the halacha? What's the punishment for someone who commits adultery? They would do this. They would publicly embarrass David HaMalach. What's the punishment for someone who commits adultery? So David HaMalach, if you could imagine, probably turning red or white, you know, just, just embarrassed and demolished, said, the punishment for one who commits adultery is death in this world, but he has a portion in the world to come. But for someone who embarrasses his fellow Jew in public, dies in this world and has no portion in the world to come. But just understand, that's what David HaMalach is contending with day in and day out. Your word is good enough for me, but it would really help if you gave me a sign. It would really help if you gave me some type of tangible sign so everyone else could see that I am forgiven as well. So look what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. This is incredible. Hashem says, I will not give you a sign during your lifetime. However, but during the lifetime of your son Shlomo, I'll give you a sign. What was the sign of the lifetime of Shlomo? Listen to this. So famous story, right? The first base that is just built. Shlomo HaMelech is dedicating it. And remember again, he's getting ready to bring the Aron, the Ark, into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, into the Holy of Holies. Only one problem. Only one problem. Dovku Sha'arim Zebazeh. The gates of the Beis Hamikdash would not open. Can you imagine that? They spent all this time, all of this money, building the Beis Hamikdash, and now when it's finally time to bring the Aron in, the gates themselves won't open. So Shlomo Melech begins to daven. Amr Shlomo, Esum Ba'arba, excuse me, Renato Solonana. Shlomo Melech says, 24 supplications and they're not answered. Kevan Sha'amar, Hashem Elokim, Atoshev Pnei Meshichecha. This is incredible. The moment that Shlomo brought up his father, the gates opened. So incredible, right? Incredible. The gates that Beis Hamidash wouldn't open up for Shlomo HaMelech. They wouldn't open up for all the tefillahs and all the supplications. When do they open up? They opened up when Shlomo mentioned his father's name. One mention of David HaMelech and suddenly the gates fly open. Now, what did that show? What did that show? In that moment, in that moment, all of David Amal's enemies, their complexion became like ashen. Ashen. Literally, it's like blackened, like the bottom of a pot. They became ashen. In other words, they realized that they were tormenting about Shuva. They were tormenting an innocent man. And ultimately, again, they recognized that in fact, Baruch Hu had forgiven David HaMelech for that particular sin. So an incredible, so, if you, so now, if you kind of bring this all together, this is the Radak. So the Radak therefore understands, the Radak therefore understands that Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis David. why is David HaMelech 
why is he creating the song for the dedication of the Beis HaMikdash? And the answer is, and again, right, and, and remember, especially since the rest of the capital is talking about, again, illness, sickness, overcoming enemies. Thradak will say that this entire capital is about the difficulties that David HaMelech had navigating in a world that looked at him like a sinner. How do you navigate in a world? And by the way, he's the leader. He's the leader. He's the king. And yet again, it's not everyone who looked down on him, but certainly it was enough people. And remember again, they were people in high positions. Had, had, the overwhelming nature of navigating in a world like that, Hashbaruch just forgive me. Hashbaruch said, I won't forgive you. I, won't, I forgive you, but the sign won't come in your lifetime, but it'll come in the lifetime of your son Shlomo. When does it come? During the dedication of the Beis HaMikdash. So dedication was David HaMelech's vindication. That's Mizmar Shir Chanukah's Habayis Ledavid. An incredible, incredible idea. The dedication is the vindication. And just before we go on, before we go on, uh, I'll just mention that you see, uh, actually, well, we'll come back to it. So, so what's interesting to note, because there's a Hanukkah time already, already tonight, but what, what's interesting to note is, is the following, that why didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgive, HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgave David during his lifetime, right? He did forgive him. So why not give him the sign, right? In other words, it's not that Hashem saying, I don't forgive you yet, and if I can't give you a sign during your lifetime, I forgive you. So ultimately, again, if I forgive you, why not give him the, the, the physical, tangible, public sign of forgiveness? And perhaps, perhaps what HaKash Baruch Hu is also trying to teach David, but not just teach David, but teach us, is that sometimes, sometimes that in life, you have to wait for things to come together. Right? One of the most difficult things in life is often we go through life and we are incredibly impatient. We want everything the way we want it and we want it now. And we want it now. And often in life we become very frustrated when things don't materialize the way we want them to materialize at the pace in which we want them to materialize. And what the Chalish Baruch perhaps was trying to teach David HaMelech was a very important lesson that the Ribono Shal Olam runs the timeline of the world. And that sometimes we just have to go ahead and wait for things to come together. And specifically, one of the things we have to wait for things to come together is forgiveness. Sometimes forgiveness is not immediate. You know, this this has applications in, in many different relationships. Think about this for just a moment in human relationships. Think about a situation where you've wronged someone. Now, Okay, you'll say, I've never wronged someone. Okay, maybe you have a friend who's wronged someone. So think about your friend who's wronged someone, right? And you know what happens? You ever have that moment where you know you did something wrong? And, and I have like a David HaMelech moment. I want to own it. I want to own it. So what happens? Bless you. What happens? I go over to the, to the person I wronged and I apologize. And it's a heartfelt, not, not like one of those like... I'm sorry if something I did hurt your feelings, right? Not like one of those apologies, right? The non-apology apology, right? But, but an actual apology, an actual apology. I'm sorry that I hurt you, like a genuine heartfelt apology. So it's interesting. Often when you are the apologizer, right? What do you expect from the hurt party? What do you expect? Forgiveness. And when do you expect it? Right away. And it's actually interesting. There's an interesting dynamic that often happens in relationships that sometimes the offender, 
because gets offended, right? I apologized. I, 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 I apologized already. So if I, and it's heartfelt, there's even like a little like, like moisture over here at the corner of my eye, right? It's like, it's like, it's like really genuine. I really mean it. I really feel bad. And how can you not accept it right here and now? And the truth is, as we become a little bit more skilled in relationships, we recognize that sometimes forgiveness takes time. Forgiveness takes time. And even if you're genuinely sorry for what you did, the other person may not be ready to forgive you just yet. And it's so important because one of the keys to success in human relationships is the ability to apologize and then take a step back. Because I have to apologize if I've done something. I have to own it. But I also have no right to expect someone who's been hurt by me to just forgive me immediately. Sometimes it takes time. And it's almost as if the Rebona Shalom is modeling that a little bit with David Amalek. David, I love you and I forgive you. But there's a part of forgiveness that I am not yet ready to give you. There's a part of forgiveness. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to give it to you because I see that you're genu- a genuine penitent. I see that you're a real Baal Tshuva, But I'm not ready yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, to give you that peace. Why I'm not ready? I'm just, I'm just not ready. And what a profound lesson in the way we navigate our relationships. And it's true with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's true with HaKadosh It's true with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That sometimes forgiveness takes time. And even after I offer up that heartfelt apology, it still may take time to go ahead and repair that relationship. David HaMelech wanted the external sign, A, because he wanted to rehabilitate his public image, that's Aleph, and B, because the public sign was like the Makibe Patish, you know, it was like the final hammer blow to show that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had really forgiven him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm just not ready yet. And sometimes, again, in relationships, we have to be ready to ask for forgiveness, to apologize, but also recognize that we may not be granted that mechila, that forgiveness, as quickly as we want it. And you have to learn to be okay with that in life. There's also two more lessons that I just kind of want to tie everything, everything up with. The other piece, and we'll, we'll save the Hanukkah tie-in, we'll save the Hanukkah tie-in for the last piece, but Dalamach also teaches us something else. There's a number of lessons in this. This, this. I happen to think that in general, this capital is one of the most powerful chapters in Tehillim. We'll see it more next week as well. But every line, every Pasuk is, is, is another life, like another life gem that David is giving us. Take a look at number six on your sheet. David Amalek says, just quoting the Pasuk from the capital. Dalamach literally says, and I said it, yes. Oh, 30. 30, of course. So, David Amal says, David Amal says, literally, and I said in my tranquility, I will never falter. I said in my tranquility, I will never falter. So what, what does this mean? So this, and, and we're going to see how this ties into the opening Pasuk as well. So watch this. So Rashi says, and this is really incredible. Rashi says, Listen to this. Daramel says, when life was tranquil, when life was tranquil, when life was good, 
When life was tranquil, I thought to myself, I will never falter. Right? In other words, we've all had moments like that in life, right? Where, where everything is perfect. You know, like those 24 seconds, right? Everything is just as it should be. And it's easy sometimes in those moments of tranquility to lull yourself into a false sense of security, of thinking, okay, everything's good. Everything's good, right? I said in moments of tranquility, nothing bad is ever going to happen. He says, Aval, ain't hadava bershusi. So again, Rashi says, so Dalmas is something amazing. You know, I made the mistake in life. And part of the, by the way, part of the power of Tehillim is David Amalek also gives us like a full view into his life mistakes, which is such a gift for us. Because the truth is, you know, in general, you learn a lot more from people's mistakes or just other people. We learn a lot more from our mistakes than we do from our accomplishments. And Allah has come all the more so with David Amelech. We learn so much from seeing the mistakes he made, but ultimately, again, not just the mistakes, but how he rebounded from them. So he's saying, I made a mistake. I made a life mistake. Not Navera, not Navera, a mistake that I assumed that in moments of tranquility when life was good, that that's just the way it was going to remain. And that life was always going to be fine. And I learned in some very dramatic ways that at the end of the day, life is a series of peaks and valleys. And the one who controls those peaks and valleys is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, Rashi understands this just from like a situational life perspective. Situational life perspective, right? That thought my life was good. And in moments when life is good, I thought that this would be the way that it would just remain forever. And boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. Did I get some really difficult circumstances in life that I never thought were going to occur. But I realized from that, that ultimately, there really is no consistency in life. And the only consistency is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Boshom is the consistency in life. He's the only consistent in life, only consistent factor in life. And he determines how everything is going to go. The Radak understands that in number eight, take a look at number eight. He says, So this is incredible. So the Radak says, he says it on a spiritual level. The Dharamal said, you know, in my moments, when I was spiritually on my game and spiritually doing great, I thought I will never spiritually falter, right? I thought we, 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 we've all had moments like that, right? You know, in those moments when you feel like spiritually strong and you say to yourself, oh, like I am impervious to sin. Those mistakes I made in the past, never again. And then what happens? What happens? I do it again. So Dharamal says, Vani So it's interesting. So according to Rashi, they're both saying the same theme. They're just seeing it in almost like different angles of life. Rashi's saying it just like in a general life sense. When I experienced tranquility, I made the mistake of thinking that tranquility could be a constant. But it's not a constant. It's not a constant. The Radak, I made a thought, I made I made the mistake of thinking that spiritual tranquility, being spiritually strong, is a constant. But I was wrong. I was wrong. And what's profound about this, what's profound about this is, David HaMelech is saying, and this is going to sound a little bit counterintuitive, when are we strongest in life? 
when we go ahead and accept our vulnerabilities. I know it sounds a little bit counterintuitive. I'm strongest when I accept my vulnerabilities. We often like to think that we're strongest when we overcome our vulnerabilities. But what's the fallacy in that thinking? Right, fallacy? You can't, vulnerability is inherent in the human condition. For one simple reason. There is no consistency, right? You know, you know what's interesting is, what's the thing we strive for most in life? The thing we strive for most? Security. The thing we strive for most is consistency, right? I want to be consistently good in my relationships. I want to be a consistently good Jew. I want to be consistent. So the thing we want most in life is consistency. And the one thing you cannot guarantee in life is consistency, right? Think about it. In order, to, in order to guarantee consistency, you have to have to control over your future. You don't have control over your future. None of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I can't guarantee consistency. So what's interesting about that is because I can't guarantee, I can attempt for consistency, I can try for consistency, but at the end of the day, true strength in life comes from embracing vulnerability. Because when I accept vulnerability in life, what that does is, that opens me up to a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because Rebbe Shalom is the one constant in this world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one source of consistency. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one source of true, reliable strength. If I think that I can be consistent, first of all, it's not true. And also, I don't need God. But if I accept my vulnerabilities, interestingly enough, that's when I rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu most, and that's when I have the true opportunity to self-actualize. I know it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but embracing vulnerability actually makes us stronger. And that's what Tavra Melech is saying over here. Vani Amarati Bishalvi, I made the mistake of thinking, Balamot Liolam, things are good now, they're always going to be good. Things are spiritually good, they're going to remain spiritually good. Things are physically good, they're going to remain physically good. And I was wrong. And I was wrong. Spiritually, I was wrong. The whole episode about Sheva. Physically, I was wrong. I became very ill. But yet, interestingly enough, once I accepted my vulnerability, what does David HaMelech say? Mizmar Shir Chanukas Habayis David. When is the personalistic home strongest? When is it strongest? when you accept your vulnerabilities. And this Yisod in general is, uh, is an incredibly overwhelming one in life. And, and I think, well, thinking, in thinking a little bit about this, I, I, I think that this is a, is a thing that resonates with so much of what we are experiencing now. Right? One, of the, one of the pieces, you know, we're, we're so focused, we're so focused on what we need to do during this current war for Am Yisrael. Right? What do we need to do? So we need to daven. We need to give tzedakah. We need to go ahead and right, learn to... There are so many things that, that we have to do. But if you take a step back, take a step back, right? How do we feel? How do we feel? So I think different people feel different ways. But I think one of the scariest things that's happening right now is we feel vulnerable. We feel vulnerable. Right? There are close to 240 of our brothers and sisters, men, women, and children, that are somewhere in Gaza, under, under the rulership of, of, of 
people who are the basis elements of humanity. And we don't know what's happening with them. We don't know what's going on with them. And we hear about a hostage deal. But even the hostage deal, even the hostage deal, what is it going to be? How is it going to materialize? What do we have to give up? Right? Understand that the, the humanitarian ceasefire, there is nothing humanitarian about it. Nothing human. We might want to be humanitarian. What do we have to give up? Right? To get back, to get back our children, our mothers, our fathers, so we run the risk of allowing an enemy who doesn't respect our right to live the opportunity to rearm, to regroup, so vulnerable. Like, and, and you hear this, and this is the problem also sometimes like when we're glued to the news, right? And we hear that the, the Houthis hijack, you know, hijack a tanker in the Red Sea. Why? Because like, so now the, the Houthis are in the Red Sea. Hezbollah is in Lebanon. So, so Hamas is in Gaza. 240 of our brothers and sisters, 1,400 murdered, thousands injured, close to 70 soldiers have died. It's, you feel vulnerable. Like what, what, do, what, it's, it's, I don't know, I think for many, at least for me, for the first time in my life, there's an acute feeling of fear. A fear, not fear about the result. Not fear about the result. Kalal will be victorious Am Yisrael will be successful. We, together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who guides our soldiers, there is no enemy that we cannot overcome. But if you take a step back and you think about it, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And it's overwhelming every moment of every day. So what do we do with the vulnerability? What, what, what do I do with it? What do I do with it? So David HaMalach whispers in our ear and he says, what do you do with it? Own it. Own it. Don't run from it. You see, a lot of times in life, we run from vulnerability, right? Or we try, to, we try to pretend that we're not vulnerable in certain ways. Sometimes the best thing you could do with vulnerability is just simply to own it. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling scared. I feel like I'm not sure. I don't know, right? How, how parents, what, how, what do I say to my kids? You know, it was such an interesting thing that I, never, that I never thought about before. A couple of weeks ago, someone had asked if they could hang up pictures, you know, like the placards of the hostages that say kidnapped on it. And someone asked if they could hang them up with a shawl. So I said, I said, yes. And then something amazing happened. Like after Shabbos, like after Shabbos, I got a call actually from a couple of parents and they said, they said, you know, just don't you know, like, our children were really traumatized by it. Young children walking into shul and seeing this and like, and the kids saying, we don't want to come back to shul, we're scared. You know, like, and again, I never, never in a million years did I even put that together. I didn't, I didn't even think about it, but it was so jarring. It was, because it is, it's traumatizing. It's traumatizing. So what we just try to do is we try like, not to think about it. You know, when we were in Washington, D.C. Last, uh, last week, so before the Dafyomi Shir, they were setting up a, um, like a memorial, I don't want to use the word memorial, but like a memorial for the, for the hostages. And it was so moving. What they did is they had all like the pictures out and they had a pair of shoes by each of the, by each of the placards. You know, men's shoes for the men, women's shoes for the women, children's shoes for the children. And you sit there and you're looking at children's shoes. Looking at children's shoes. And you say, Ribbon Like what's what's happening in this 
world. What's like, what, what is this? What is this? This doesn't happen to us anymore. These are, the, we read about these kind of things like in history. We, we, we read these kind of kinnis on Tisha B'av about things that did happen. This is not supposed to happen today, but it's happening. And you stand there looking at these, and I remember just like standing there, it's pitch black, right? It was like 5.30 in the morning, pitch black, and they're setting this up. And you realize that like you, the darkness feels heavy and it feels overwhelming. And you could be standing with thousands of people and yet you feel so profoundly alone. There's such a vulnerability. Dada Malch says, own it. Just embrace it. Just embrace it. Because if you go ahead and you embrace the vulnerability, you could actually turn it into a strength. And I want to share with you something amazing. With this, I'm going to, with this, I'm going to conclude. I didn't put it on the sheet. But I want to share with you something amazing. There's a Rav and Eretzor, Moshe Shilat. And I saw like a snippet of a, of a shear that he had given to his kehila. And I want to read to you. He writes, he, he's writing about, he, he was talking about the hostages. And he says, Kulanu You know, we're all overwhelmed by the hot, right? I, I, I think it's like out, out of this whole thing, out of this whole thing, the thing that we cannot fully wrap our heads around are the hostages. You know, we believe in Olam Haba. So if somebody dies or somebody is killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem, even in the most brutal fashion, there's, there's, a little, there's a little spark of Nechama because I know that they're in Olam Haba. I know that they're by the Kisekah, by the throne of glory. But the hostages, the hostages, he writes over here, Lios muchsak biad rishoim, if you could conjure up the scariest thing that could ever possibly happen to us in this world, what would it be? It would be to be held hostage by Hamas in Gaza. Isn't, isn't that crazy? The worst nightmare you could ever come up with, right? What one would have thought like the worst nightmare would have been like, and again, just, just to say how like, we contextualize everything, hearing a child die of an illness, right? Six weeks ago, six weeks, whatever, whatever, it was, right? Six weeks ago? Yeah, about six weeks ago, right? You would have said, that, that's like the worst thing, the loss of child is the worst. And now, there's something worse. There's something worse. Because now in the, in the, in the twisted reality in which we live, if the child is dying of an illness, but the parents know where the child is, and the parents could hold the child's hand, and the parents could take care of the child, be with the child, th- that's, that's something incredible. Right? Just, just understand like how, how the whole reality has shifted. The scariest thing anyone could ever conjure up is now reality. And he goes on, he says, he says, listen to what he writes. So this I thought was incredible. He said, what else can we do besides Davin? Now, first of all, the question is something that I think many of us have thought about, but you don't really want to ask it. Why don't you want to ask it? No one likes to ask the questions that make you sound not from, right? But the truth is, it goes through all of our minds. I'm happy to, I'm happy to Davin a lot. Is there something else? Is there something else that I can do? Not, not instead of Davin, 
in addition to davening. And he writes, again, you could agree or disagree, but I'm not even focusing so much on the point that he brings out, but, but the concept, look what he writes. He says, he says, what can I do? Get ready for this. Ulai livdok eifo gam He says, maybe identify in life where you are a captive. Where are you a captive in life? And to free yourself from whatever captivity you are in. What are the things I'm held hostage by? Some of us are ultimately again captive to negative peer groups. Some of us are captive to addictions. Others are captive to bad behaviors, bad traits, bad midos. We're often held captive or we allow ourselves to remain in the captivity of negative things in this world. He says, maybe our avoda is upashat. Lahotzi esatzmenu bekoach meashevi. You want to know what you could do for the hostages? You want to know what you could do? What do we want for them more than anything? We want them to be freed from captivity. Maybe something I could do for them is to free myself from my captivity. Because writes, Eisdestrov, everyone is held captive by something. Not everyone is held captive by someone, but everyone is held captive by something. And imagine if each of us identified what we are held captive by, and we find the strength to free ourselves, to emancipate ourselves, to bring ourselves out of captivity. He says something amazing. He says, And, and as, we, as we emancipate ourselves, as we bring ourselves out of captivity, we daven alongside of that, and we go ahead, And if we daven to Hashem, and in the course of davening to Hashem, we free ourselves from the very things which we are captive to. Hashem right, he says, that's something we could do for the Shuyim. That's something. So what, 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 is he, what is he utilizing? What he's saying is, vulnerability doesn't have to be a handicap. Vulnerability could be a strength. That when you feel vulnerable, when you feel vulnerable, do something with that vulnerability. So I could say, I feel so vulnerable, I feel so afraid, I feel so sad. And that's it, you could just feel, and that's it, and do nothing. And allow those feelings to allow you to remain powerless, and that's, or, I could say, I feel so sad, I feel so vulnerable, and yes, I feel so, but I'm not going to allow myself to feel it, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to free myself in some way from the captivity, from the, from the thing that is holding me captive. That's taking a vulnerability and making it a strength. And that's what David HaMelech is teaching us in this very capital. David says, when I was a young man, I made a mistake. And what was my mistake? That life was going to be easy. And by the way, it's a mistake that many of us make. We've spoken about this many times. One of the worst things you could ever do in life is expect life to be easy. You see this all the time. People get rattled very easily especially today, right? People go ahead, people like, like anything. It's, 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 I always find it amazing that people fall into like deep theological crises for relatively minor things, right? Why is that? 
Why is that? I think, again, I'm not a psychologist, but I think, you know, I, but I could play one for the rest of this year, right? But I think, I think, it's because presently, we have an expectation that life is supposed to be easy. That life is supposed to be calm. That life is supposed to be tranquil. So when it doesn't go well, I'm rattled. Well, there's a better idea. Who told you life is supposed to be easy? Who told you life is supposed to be tranquil? In fact, the best thing you can do for yourself is say, life is difficult. And it's supposed to be difficult because it's the difficulties that bring out greatness. Are there episodes, are there moments, are there periods of time of tranquility? Yes. Do we hope that those periods of time, you know, are prolonged? Absolutely. Do they generally extend for a long time? Absolutely not. But it's okay. Expect it. Tabramav says, I can't believe I was so foolish. I thought life was going to be a walk in the park. And then life happened. And I realized life is incredibly difficult. And I feel so scared and I feel so vulnerable. But then I realized that if they own the vulnerability, if I own the vulnerability, if I take that vulnerability and say to myself, okay, I'm feeling vulnerable, what can I do with it? then the vulnerability itself becomes the very source of strength. Then suddenly, again, I don't just have to cry and to daven for my brothers and sisters who are being held captive. I can do something. I can do something. I can bring myself out of my captivity as hopefully a schus for them. And when you go ahead and A, you acknowledge your vulnerability, B, own your vulnerability, and C, use your vulnerability as a strength. Then what happens? Mizmor Shir Chanukas Habayis Ledavid. Then song the vulnerability becomes a song. It's no longer a handicap. It's no longer a detriment. But it's that very vulnerability that allows me to accomplish great things. It's that very vulnerability that leads to the Chanukas Habayis, the dedication and solidification of the personalistic home. It's the acknowledgement, ownership, and usage of that vulnerability that ultimately allows me to solidify and concretize my identity. That's the greatness of David HaMelech. The greatness of David HaMelech doesn't really lie as much in what he did, but it's his ability to take the immutable features of the human condition that so many regard as a weakness and turn it into strength. And if you could do that, then all of us have the ability to sing Mizmor Shir Chanukah Sabayis L'David. We have the ability to steady ourselves. We have the ability to solidify ourselves. And we have the ability ultimately to create strong and enduring personalities. We'll stop over here for tonight, Amir Hashem. Next week, our pre-Chanukah Shir. So Amir Hashem will be doing the same capital, chapter 30. But Imer Hashem will be focusing much more on Hanukkah. There's also a tie-in for Hanukkah from this week, but it's right a little bit late, so we'll save it to Imer Hashem for next week. Again, wonderful to see everyone today. Thank you for coming out in the inclement weather. And halibut should be a week of Besoros Talvos Yisrael.